Good afternoon, and welcome to A Lonely Man's Guide to Self-Discovery, my journey to my own mental health and how I deal with it. Hopefully you can steal something from it or uh, steal some information that might help you out. Today I'm doing a swap cast with my good buddy, Chris. Um, it's going to be abs and a six-pack. Uh, check abs out his and a six-pack! Yeah, check out his content. Uh, it's pretty great. We've got an episode about poop on there. Check it out. Abs in a six pack. Definitely not on shrooms if there's any cops listening. <laughs> this is Abs in a Six Pack, episode 149. Abs in a Six Pack! This is a new live son of a bitch! For 427-2022, this is Abs in a Six Pack. Joined here today by Gibson, the uh, one of my best good friends and stand-up comedian and podcaster in his own right. How you doing? Um, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm all right, man. Doing pretty good. I almost thought I was going to have to cancel the show because there was a bunch of dudes working on the roof all day because we've had like so much wind and rain and uh, the insurance company sent some dudes out to mess with the roof and they were hammering and moving things around for a while and it was so loud in here, but luckily they finished about half an hour ago, so we're in the clear, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh... Oh, well, um, what's up, man? I don't know. Hey. Hey. You know, we're here today to talk about mice helium, which is, um, uh, I'm assuming when a bunch of mice huff helium and makes their mice, mice already have really high-pitched voices, but it makes their voices even more higher-pitched when they huff helium, so it's mice helium episode. Yeah, 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 that's exactly what... <laughs> Yeah, so mycelium, if you don't know, is like the base product of all life. Um, It's the base product of like uh, fungi in particular, right? Um, Which is cool that we're going to be talking about fungi today, mycelium, psilocybin, whatever you want to talk about. Um, That's what most people associate mycelium with is psilocybic mushrooms, Um, Unfortunately, mycelium courses through everything. It's even part of us. Uh, most uh, evolutionists and uh, a fair amount of scientists actually believe that mycelium came from out of outer space and created most of what is life on Earth, um, which is uh, which is super cool because it courses beneath our feet as we walk every day, uh, and we have no clue. It's kind of like the whole uh, it the whole avatar movie you know where they're talking about how the trees can talk and they can connect to the earth pocahontas also had that element 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, I mean, and Pocahontas is right on. Like that's what mycelium is. It's it's the way the whole earth communicates. All the plants communicate through mycelium underneath the ground and we don't even It's nature's we don't even realize what's going on. You could say it's nature's internet. Yeah, except better. <laughs> uh you you brought up the possibility that psilocybin mushrooms or mycelium in general is from outer space, the seeds to life. I do have a Terrence McKenna clip talking about that. If you want to start off with that. Uh, fuck it. Why not? Let's start off with that and we can build into the other things. Cause you know, what I really want to talk about is the mental health aspects of them, but yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was saving this for later, but since you brought it up and pause it anytime you want me to pause it, just let me know. The reason I, uh, tended to the idea that the mushroom might be an extraterrestrial was because of this weird way in which it approaches you when you take it, that it presents itself as another, as a being with whom you can have a dialogue, and that it's loaded with all this information and imagery about alien life forms, societies, technologies, all of this stuff. I mean, if this is my imagination, that can call up hours of cinemascope uh, movies about the histories and machinery and social relations of alien species. I don't know exactly what to make of it. Uh, so can I cut you off right there? Yep. So, like, uh, I totally feel and get what he is saying with, like, him saying that, like, mushrooms in general are from outer space or more specifically... Um, psilocybin ones um but uh i mean mycelium in general uh makes the great argument for the fact that it's from space because it's one of the only things on earth that can survive in space without like bingo yeah you know what i'm saying it can survive uh, in the vacuum of space uh yeah like without without life form without anything yeah um so i mean that's that's interesting, but like he talks about it, like allowing him to see other worlds and stuff like that. Uh, I mean, we had talked about doing a whole podcast about extraterrestrial versus interdimensional, mm-hmm. right? Like, um, who's to say it's not allowing us to see other dimensions versus other worlds? You know what I'm saying? Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and McKenna talks about uh, the mushrooms giving blueprints, schematics for weapons futuristic weapons and all kinds of stuff like he and this is a guy that went deep deep he he he's well i'll get to it later but his argument is you should only do mushrooms in silent darkness and at a minimum do five grams uh well and and i yeah i'm well aware of terrence mckenna's teachings um uh especially about mushrooms (laughs) Uh, and for the record i do not trust terrence mckenna um to say the least. I think he had a lot of brilliant ideas, but I also think he was probably a CIA agent. Uh, um, yeah, well, we can get into that a little bit uh, here in a second. But, like, so, like, uh, I, I don't know that I, like, ever saw – I don't think I've ever seen blueprints for, like, weapons or uh, anything like that. Uh, but – he definitely like makes the point of like saying, yeah, it could definitely be extraterrestrial. And I, I want to say that like, not just syllabic mushrooms, like make you feel uh, a different type of way or interact with your body, a different type of way. There's all kinds of mushrooms that like do different p- 
positive things for your body that pretty much nothing else in nature can equate to. Um, for instance, like lion's mane, the, uh, its effectiveness on neuroreceptors and helping create new pathways for your brain are incredible. There's not another mushroom who, that does what lion's mane does for your brain. Yeah, lion's mane is supposed to be almost like a miracle drug as far as mushrooms go. And, and it is. It really is. I, I, I eat lion's mane on a regular basis um, pretty much every day. I've had a bunch of lion's mane coffee. I've run out, but I used to drink a bunch of coffee that was made with lion's mane. Yeah, I mean, it's it's great. Um, uh, actually, lion's mane uh, in... Uh, and I don't have the research pulled up right here because I've got mostly psilocybin research pulled up because that's what they're doing with uh, mental health stuff right now. But uh, they have studies that show where a lion's mane has uh, helped recover brain damage over right, long-term yeah. use. Over long-term use. Yeah, it's not like one dose like, overnight. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's yeah, definitely... Yeah. But, but like we're talking like over... A course of five years, you can see where somebody who had brain damage had a uh, had a big, big uh, change. Um, and when it comes to brain damage, uh, I want to point out to people: even small change is big change. Right. Uh, especially because we do not understand the brain. Yeah, we um, people always say. That like it got misinterpreted to the human, you know, like only ten percent of the brain gets used. But really, that was a bastardization of what actually the science shows is we just don't know what the other ninety percent of the brain does. Like we it, to, to this day, yeah. Um, yeah as far yeah. as lion's manes go, lion's mane and psilocybin can both help cluster headaches and migraines. But lion's mane, in particular, according to the studies, and this is from Healthline.com, lion's mane can protect against dementia. Lion's mane can help relieve mild symptoms of depression and anxiety. It can um, help repair the nervous system from injuries. Uh, even ulcers in the digestive system it can repair risk of heart disease. So it like lion's mane is is really like a, a miracle uh, may help fight cancer, and they say may on that one, but lion's mane is um, yeah, it's it's a miracle fungus. It's almost like God I mean, put it here. If you believe in that, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, it's incredible. Fungi in general are incredible, uh, because they're neither vegetable nor meat. They sit somewhere in between, you know, uh, which is even, I, I could talk about mushrooms all day. Um, it's just, it's incredible. I mean, um, uh, outside of lion's mane, like uh, helping with dementia, it, it's been prescribed to people with early onset Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. uh, and showed promise. I'm not going to say like it showed like great results every time, but it showed promise uh, in the right dosage, in the right settings. Um, it showed an, yeah, lion's mane has shown enough promise with brain health to, to where we can go out on a limb and say for certain that the current president of the United States has never had lion's mane. Uh, it, 
Amen, brother. Amen. <laughs> uh, so, in general, yeah, I mean, like, mushrooms have to be from – fungi in general has to be from somewhere else. Uh, and, uh, and life – but animal and vegetable life on this earth couldn't really exist without fungus. Fungi. Yeah, yeah it couldn't. So if you know the, the concept the beginning of, and um, end of all life. Right. Especially with the underground mycelium network and all that. So if, if you know anything about the theory of panspermia, like um, extraterrestrial, whether intentional or unintentional, extraterrestrial seeding of planets, uh, what would have catalyzed what it would have catalyzed and caused the earth that we know it as now to come to fruition and just go from being a dead rock floating through space to becoming a habitable, fruitful realm would have been uh fungus well because yeah without so like, fungus we there's no life yeah so like the way that you're talking about it in and this is the way most people believe it happened was uh, mycelium hit a rock on earth and a bacteria came up out of the water and uh just so happened to come across the mycelium the mycelium and the bacteria became best friends basically in uh, layman's terms and together they created what is life on earth. Um, because like those are our two base units are like bacteria and mycelium. <laughs> if you break down the human body, that's like what we are made out of mycelium and bacteria. Yep. Um, which is, uh, in, which is incredible. Well, and, and even more to say, uh, like, Uh, even more to say is like, yeah, uh, this just, <laughs> it's incredible. Uh, I mean, there are now evolutionists and scientists that are, are beginning to believe that um, mushrooms are the reason that humans are humans as we know, that we are cognitive, that we can think, that we have these thought processes that as far as we know all other life doesn't right the um and mckenna talked about the stoned ape theory which was the idea that primates when the climate changed had to find new food sources and they started flipping over cow patties ate psilocybin mushrooms and that was the reason that the human brain size just exploded in the evolutionary timeline if you believe in I, evolution and the mainstream theories on that well and and that's exactly what i'm talking about yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Um, it, they, they've, they've done studies where it increases uh, vision for sure, eyesight, which would help the primates hunting. They've done studies where you have you know five parallel lines, and the people that are dead sober, it just looks like five parallel lines. The only people that can quickly pick out that there's a crooked line are the people that are on psilocybin. Well, uh, and I want to, I want to so tag into it. I, I want to tag into this. We're we're not saying that like this all happened overnight. That they ate psilocybin mushrooms once and like the brain size doubled. We're saying it happened over over time and time and time as like primates just kept eating mushrooms and yeah. just kept hundreds of thousands of years. Is the yeah. yeah 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 yeah. So um, but yeah, that's I mean I completely uh I don't know that I completely agree with the theory, but like. I like, because yeah, neither, the, neither do I. I don't even know if I agree with the theory of evolution, to be honest with you, but I, I like, I like them both as placeholders. I, I think they work. 
and they make sense. And as somebody who like is an advocate for just mycelium in general, uh, and the fight towards like anything that grows naturally on earth, being able to be used as medicine. Um, uh, I don't care what it is. No, the only, the only things that work as medicine are made by Pfizer. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, I know. What were you thinking? So we have a couple different ways we can take this. Um, I can save the rest of... I have like three McKenna clips I brought. I can save the rest of this one about the mushroom being extraterrestrial or engineered by extraterrestrials. I can save that for later and we can go into your clips or I can finish this one out and we'll go from there. What do you want to do? Uh, just just finish it out and we'll like finish the clip you got and we'll go from there. All right. I think probably we have a very parochial view of what biology is capable of and that it's quite possible that the mushroom is an extraterrestrial, that we have possessed radio for about a hundred years in some form, and our assumption then that radio is the means by which any intelligent life form in the universe would communicate with any other is probably as preposterous as uh, somebody who believed that you would do it with drums, if that's what they were into, you know. Trying to, I think the major thing about trying to imagine an extraterrestrial is the problem is not to find extraterrestrials, but to recognize them. And all the extraterrestrials of science fiction and movies are so preposterously like us as to be dismissed immediately. I mean, I don't care if you do have a splayed end on your middle finger, if you are walking around with binocular vision and that sort of thing, why you're just a carbon copy of a human being. Biology, I'll bet you, is capable of things that we can barely conceive of or imagine that are living and intelligent. The first thing you have to remember when you talk about uh, extraterrestrials is that probably anyone who could carry out a program of contact across the stars has a complete knowledge of DNA and is therefore probably does not display the form that they evolved in on their planet of origin but displays whatever form they have chosen to design themselves into. The mushroom looks to me like an engineered life form it it looks to me it's almost all brain because what it is is it's this mycelial mat in the soil circulating this drug compound which is very much like a neurotransmitter in fact very much like serotonin the mushroom the physical carpophore is just is involved in the sexual cycle of the mushroom and is just something that it can occasionally produce when it feels the need to sporulate, but it's perfectly capable of vegetatively propagating itself without ever sporulating, and even undergoing renewal of the genome by that means, so it's like it has two forms of reproduction. It's uh, the fact that it produces spores, which are the color of that we paint spacecraft that we want to uh, reflect ultraviolet radiation, this dark purple black, the fact that these spores last longest in the laboratory under conditions that most closely approximate those of space, i.e. ultra cold, dark, desiccated environments, they will last indefinitely. And then the message, 
you know I mean I why should it say that it's very interesting see in the 60s um, psilocybin was made illegal when uh, LSD was made illegal because there was just a they swept the floor basically and made all it right all I illegal. gotta stop you there yeah um so uh not even like in the 60s when it was made illegal like you're talking they were doing clinical research with psilocybin and lsd um in the 50s in in the 50s and in the 60s it wasn't really until about 76 the sweeping sweeping psychedelic act under richard nixon exactly it wasn't until 76 that psychedelics really became like illegal um uh, thank you, Albert Hoffman, the creator of uh, creator and discoverer of LSD. Happy bicycle uh, day, by the way. Uh, we're a week late on it, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're right. We are. Um, but you know, I, which is that's why April was such an appropriate month to be recording this podcast. Um, is uh you know we we found psilocybin we found psilocybin and lsd and and then the holiday for cannabis all in april and stuff like and we, Hitler's we diagnosed what it was uh well you know i wasn't gonna bring that up <laughs> you know I, it uh, got brought up last show so i had to bring it up again um but yeah i'll but save the, yeah, i'll like, save the rest of that clip and put it at the end of the show because it's got another two minutes but um Holy jippy Jesus. Yeah. That's a six um, minute clip, so <laughs> um But yeah, like he's he's spot on, like uh I just thought it's fascinating that the um yeah, I just think it's fascinating the like he points out the the way that fungus functions as opposed to all their life forms and you brought it up before it was even in that clip, the fact that it can survive in space. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because like, I think that that's one of the most like key parts of like what mycelium and and fungi are. Is like it's incredible that um, the base unit, which is spores, can survive anywhere. Yeah. Anywhere. I mean, like, there are spores that survive in tropical climates. You know, there there are fungi that grow in incredibly tropical climates, and yeah, outside of chucking it into a volcano, it's going to be alive wherever it's at. The spores. Work. Exactly. Um, we, we we have found fungi that grows in Antarctica. Okay, and yeah. we have found fungi that grow in the Sahara Desert. Fungi can grow anywhere as long as it has like something dead or a substrate fungi will pop up it just it will because fungi is there to break down life and then the way it starts new life is by feeding everything else around it um right yeah it's a key process in in uh like you know comp like you know people do vegetable compost but decomposition of bodies whether that be animal or human, without fungus, that really, that dead matter doesn't get transferred into life. No. Uh, which I think is hilarious because, like, we bury the dead nowadays, you know? We bury the dead. But we, block, it, we block the body yeah. via a Don't coffin. Bury we block a... the body from being reabsorbed into the earth. 
exactly like don't if you're gonna get buried don't get buried in a coffin like just bury your body without any clothes on completely naked and let the earth take you because like every bit of you is going to return to the earth all your carbon all your mycelium like everything um yeah what a what an incredible 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 uh product incredible thing that mycelium is i know it's uh, oh, it's almost as good as the sham wow <laughs> almost <laughs> almost almost <laughs> uh, uh i don't know which order you wanted to go in into these in but uh i got the, the i think i have the right time stamp for that ted talk you had um well let's uh let, let me let me segue us there real quick yeah yeah so um my podcast that i run is all about mental health and um how I deal with mine and there is like lots of promising research, uh, not just from John Hopkins university, but like all over the world right now. Uh, and from the fifties and sixties that has been, uh, dug up and also been sealed so that by the government so that we can't see it. Uh, all kinds of research that shows that, um, psilocybin in general has, Psilocybin, mycelium in general, has all these um, positive regards for mental health. And so, upon my research, uh, and I don't have a problem saying this, um, I have started with a, a nice little blend of different fungi uh, that I take every morning. And uh, I take it in order to like help balance out my mental health issues uh, because I refuse to be medicated by a company like Pfizer. Um, what about let me, uh, or Merck? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to be. It, I said like Pfizer, so like anybody, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't want to take medicine, but like, I'm just gonna like jump straight in. Um, you know, just proof in the pudding. Um, there was a study done in 2021. Oh no, this was uh yeah, it was the study was done in 2021. Whoa, that's uh, last was published. year. Yeah, it was it was published in the Journal of Psychopharmacology in 2022. Okay, um Whoa, that's this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like we're we're talking like this is fresh meat right here, baby. Um they took 27 patients, uh, ranging, ranging from 21 to 75 with severe unipolar depression. So, um, I'm bipolar, which means I have two different phases. Uh, unipolar is like, you have one, you have like one, one symptom, which is like, you're just depressed, uh, like you're just depressed versus like I'm bipolar. I'm both manic and depressed. Um, but with unipolar depression, um, with a, uh, and on the scale of depression on the rating scale, um, which is the Hamilton depression rating scale, uh, they were 
everybody in the in the study was a was a less than 15, 17 on the scale. Okay, so um, I don't actually know a whole lot about the Hamilton de- depression rating scale, and I don't necessarily de- agree with rating depression because we all deal with it differently. So I think that's a little bit of bullshit. But right, as soon as you try to attach them, numbers to something like that, it becomes yeah, a little... yeah it, exactly. It becomes skewed. But regardless uh, of the twenty-seven uh, patients, twenty-four of those. Uh, participants uh, attended all the follow-up visits uh, over a 12-month period. You know what they say about uh, doing big, long studies like that with people? What? It takes a lot of patience. (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) Sorry, go ahead. (laughs) Goodness gracious. Um, so, and what they saw based on this scale was there was significant decreases from the baseline. Um, we're, we're talking like um, they were taking jumps of uh, repeatedly jumps of moving down the scale by like two points, three points, uh, in some cases six points. the treatment response is about 50% reduction uh, over the course. And uh, about 75% of them went into what we would call remission within, within like the depression side of things. Uh, And that's only over a 12 month period. That's incredible. That's incredible that 75% of them went into what we would call remission. Um, the only downside to, uh, the study that I'm looking at right now is it does not tell what the dosage is. Oh yeah. That's a problem. But I mean, I I remember like not just John Hopkins, but there was like a, I think it was a synagogue did a study with psilocybin and not only did their depression lift two years later after a one-time dose, uh, uh, what McKenna would call maybe a heroic, well, not quite a heroic dose, but I think they did 3.5 grams. There was a predictor where over 80% of people said it was the most profound spiritual experience of their life. Yeah. Well, and then, yeah, you're a hundred percent right. And, um, this is a little while ago, but, uh, in 2016, uh, they did a, they did a study with cancer patients who had um, developed depression and anxiety over death. They took 51 cancer patients with the with a life-threatening cancer and uh, that were having symptoms of depression and anxiety about their death. Uh, they did it in a double-blind uh, crossover trial, and there was a there was a few that they were giving placebo. Uh, there was a few that they were giving really low doses of like one to three times of, uh, or one, one to three milligrams. And then there was um, a few that they gave a high dose, which was 22 to 30 milligrams. Uh, 
they did it um they spent six months in between both times that they were dosed and um 80 percent 80 of everyone in the study was saying that they had seen um an immediate increase in happiness in uh their relationships in dealing with the anxiety about dying 80 percent of 51 patients Right, and that's the big one. I mean, that's uh, as someone with terminal cancer, the anxiety about dying. That's uh, it's done. There's, not, there's nothing like, else. Yeah, there's nothing else that does that. Xanax isn't gonna do that, especially not a one. To, uh, what taking Xanax one time is not gonna relieve your anxiety about death months later. <laughs> yeah, uh, morphine is not gonna do that. Uh, that article was also from uh, the Journal of Pharmaco- of Psychopharmacology, but it was just published in 2016. Um, published in 2021. Like, they've been doing study with psilocybin for so long on depression and different depressive idiosyncrasies. And they've been doing it with under our nose, and we don't even know. Um. Yeah. In the study that they did in 2021, it was um, 20 milligrams and 30 milligram doses. Um, uh, the weight was adjusted based on your uh, body physique, uh, like how much you weighed and your sex and your height, so on and so forth. Uh, and it ended up the conclusion was that uh, seventy percent of that clinical trial saw significant uptick, and it was cheaper to administer the psilocybin in fixed doses than it would have ever been. This is a note that they put in there than it would have ever been to prescribe them antidepressants. Yeah, and it probably worked. Yeah, exactly. Because, and that's why I think that's one of the reasons psychedelics have been so heavily scrutinized, or not scrutinized, but so heavily demonized, is because something that's going to something that's natural that can't be patented is not going to make as much money as something that you have to take this many pills of it a day, like a SSRI antidepressant. Well, and you okay, you want to talk you want to talk about that. Um... There's actually a company um, – I do not know who it is. Um, there's a pharmacology company that literally just applied for a patent on – they literally just applied for a patent on uh, psilocybin psychotherapy. Um, we're talking – they applied Oh, but for, they're not altering the psilocybin molecule though. No. They are creating um, non-natural psilocybin. No, no, no. Hold on. They're patenting – their con- their construction of psilocybin, their construction in a laboratory, they're the so basically they're patenting the molecule of psilocybin because so uh, they've altered and, it and in some way. N- no, yes, kind of. Okay, so this might be the right time to segue into my clip about like what the molecule of psilocybin actually looks like. Um, but like 
Psilocybin actually is almost a direct imitator of serotonin, and that's why it fits in and slides in so easily, which is why it sticks around so long. For the same reason that like LSD, LSD is almost the, an exact replicator of serotonin. The right. deal is LSD is a little bit bigger, so when it slides into that position, it gets stuck, and that's why it lasts longer than mushrooms. Right? It's just a tighter fit. But this company has created a laboratory version of psilocybin. Oh, see, that's what I've always been worried about, like Monsanto or something genetically modifying like mushrooms and selling they've, those. They've created like a, lab, has... a, la- a synthetic psilocybin. They've created a synthetic psilocybin. Yeah, that might that's not necessarily be a good thing. Um, like, like the, uh, like, cause THC in its modified form with added molecules is legal and prescribed to people. And the price is way up there cause it's patented by pharmaceutical companies like Merck. Um, so if they do that same thing to psilocybin, I'll be very skeptical, but yeah, uh, well, which, they already, which... ha- they already have. And these pharma, these farm, the, the, the worst part of it all is that these pharmaceutical companies all have their own variation on on synthesized psilocybin and one of them is trying to patent not only um synthesized psilocybin but they're also trying to patent how they do their psychotherapy we're talking they're trying to patent the way their rooms look their rooms are painted in pastels they're trying to patent um the sensory deprivation that they're creating with like the iPads and the ear and the, and the headphones and the, they're trying to patent the whole thing so that they are the only company that can do it. What a nightmare. Right. Um, they're, they're trying to be like, okay, so when this becomes legal, we're the only company that's going to be able to pull this off. It's like when Ohio the, passed that weed bill and it was like, yes, only this corporation can open dispensaries. Yes. Yes. Except this they're, is they're even gonna, worse because they're modifying them down to the molecular level of what the psilocybin even is. So who knows what different effects that will have on the brain. And then they're going to um, and then they're going to monopolize psilocybic treatment. Oh, God. Um, What's the name of this company? Want, I, I can't remember exactly the name of the company. If you'll give me a second, I am looking at it right now. Well, I can start um, the clip while you're looking for it. Um, was this yeah. from, was this the one from the psychedelic frontier, or was this the one from uh, the TED Talk? It's the TED Talk. Okay, here we go. And um, the thing with this network is that it's active by default, and after the ages of six. Six to twelve, it gets so reinforced in your brain that you're not really able to think outside of this neurological network. You're not really able to just go ahead and say, "Oh, I'm going to avoid that now, and I'm going to use my, you know, extra neurological potential." It's just not how it happens, because with age, we tend to just fall within these networks, and whether we like it or not, they will process stuff for 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 you and for me and for us in a specific way, whether we like it or not. So, why am I telling you all of that? Well, because of this loopy um, automatic network, we, we are kind of the way we are. And psychedelics have been found to have an absolutely profound effect on this, this network in these two brain areas. And 
We are looking at psychedelics today. What are psychedelics? Well, first of all, psychedelic is a word, it's a concept. It's derived from ancient Greek. Psych means mind or soul, and delum means to show or to reveal. So that translates into mind, um, you know, mind revealing, or commonly used as mind expanding. So, there are many, many, many different substances that could be, you know, classed as psychedelics out there. And um, I want to stress, really, really put emphasis on something here. They are a completely different category of things in terms of qualitative experience compared to anything else you might have, you know, uh, you might have come across on the street or you might have heard of from your friends, you know, smoking ganja and maybe taking some cocaine and ecstasy. This is completely different. This is a whole separate category of things. And I'm going to focus particularly on one specific kind of them today. These are called the serotonin receptor agonists. LSD, psilocybin mushrooms and DMT, also known as ayahuasca. Out of these three, I'm going to focus on a particular one, and that is the psilocybin uh, mushroom. You might see psilocin underneath. Well, psilocin is the active ingredient in psilocybin. When you consume uh, a psychoactive you know, mushroom, um, psilocybin breaks down in your stomach, and psilocin is what does the magic. So that's where the magic, in magic mushrooms come from. <laughs> and um, I said that they are serotonin receptor agonists. Well, what that means is that they don't agonize, you know, you know uh, your receptors or do harm to them. What they do is that they bind with them, you know? The psilocin molecule, there's a picture for you here. The psilocin molecule is an exact replica of your serotonin molecule, which you produce by yourself. It's an exact replica in nature. It's as if nature was playing copy and paste with that. And the way it binds with the receptor is absolutely magnificent because it doesn't do any harm to the receptor, doesn't cause toxicity or anything, no tissue damage and all that, and it's the exact same copy of serotonin. It's pretty brilliant, isn't it? And um, magic mushrooms, or the, you know, um, uh, the, the psilocybin mushrooms. Can I just pause this and say that I don't like how he pronounces it, mushrooms? Yeah, but it's also because he's from a different land so get over Mish, yourself mushrooms they grow in almost any climate zone there are over 200 species of them around the world and they've been used up to 6,000 years before christ came they've been used for a long long time only in religious and spiritual setting not recreationally this is not a recreational substance and it should not be treated as such because the effects in comparison to um, other recreational substances that we are more, more uh, you know, acquainted with are completely different. The effects are you know, something that you can't really put into words, as okay. it will become um, apparent in a bit. So, so um, he, he, he's talking about it being a neuroreceptor, and it... it yeah, um... And, uh, and, and, and I do think it can be recreational, but maybe that's just because I've used it recreationally before. But he's right. We've been using it for thousands of years, right? And it's a direct – like it directly imitates serotonin. It's going to slide in those places. Um, let me – I was talking about the pharmaceutical company, so let me 
uh, read you. And mind you, I do not actually like using this um, particular sort. This particular source. Was it it just so happens. No, it just so happens that they did a great article on it, and uh, this is by Vice. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, I don't love using Vice, but this is by Vice. Um, There's, I will so, say, Vice is garbage nowadays. They used to be great, but Vice is garbage nowadays. Other than their psychedelic coverage, their psychedelic coverage tends to be pretty good. So um, this is said by, and I don't, whatever, I don't know, Christian Angermayer. Uh, the co-founder of uh, ATAI Life Sciences and funder of Compass um, wrote that this is just how drugs are developed now. As in saying they're having to develop psilocybin. That is why that they are going after the patent on it. It's because that's how drugs are developed. Right. I mean, any if they can outlaw the real thing, and like they did with THC, like I said, outlaw THC naturally, the plant that naturally grows it, outlaw that, and then patent their own slightly modified, molecularly modified version of THC. If they can do the same thing once mushrooms get legalized with psilocybin, then they'll be in good shape because they make a bunch of money. They we can't. That's the last thing we can do is have people just growing mushrooms in their house. Um. Yeah. Uh, it does not specifically say in this article the name of. I. I mean, Compass is the company that is seeking the patent. Uh, and you would know more about who Compass is connected with. Is that spelled C O M P U S? No, C A C O M P A S S. Who they're connected with. Um, oh, so it's spelled like the normal compass. Okay. Yeah. Um, but they're trying to patent exactly the way they do um, psy- uh, psilocybin psychotherapy. Which is ridiculous. And, and the way they're trying to phrase it is like, it's okay because we have created, we're patenting synthetic psilocybin and the way we're treating it. But in mm. reality, well, the fact that they're getting they're being granted patents for what is considered federally a Schedule One drug should raise red flags right away. Exactly. Um, um, when the when Compass's chief of communications officer was asked about <coughs> the patent. He said, we remain highly confident in the strength of our patents and our polymorph A is, is the subject of numerous granted patents from several different patent offices confirming that it is novel and inventive. It's not novel. It's not inventive. You took something from nature and you just recreated it in a lab so that you could Something Put that has been used for thousands and thousands of years. Thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Thousands of years. Now, we could say it's been misused. Uh, I mean, like the Aztecs that I've talked about on the show, they all collectively took 
mushrooms and started chopping people's hearts out and throwing babies in volcanoes and stuff. All and they they killed it was something like sixty thousand people in less than twenty four hours, sacrificed them to the sky serpent Quetzalcoatl, who they would all take mushrooms and collectively see this sky serpent in the air that they worshipped. So there is, and they were opening, you could say they were all hallucinating. I would argue they're opening some kind of crazy stargate to some kind of evil entity. But either way, um, you can misuse mushrooms. Uh, I think Compass might be able to even outdo the Mayans in that regard, especially if they're modifying a natural substance. Yeah. So um, that's just, to me, that's completely bonkers that they're trying to, they're trying to patent psilocybic use which is like a natural thing that we could be taking to be treating um <sighs> what can't it be treating erectile dysfunction yeah maybe have you ever tried to get a boner on mushrooms it's not as easy as it looks i mean I didn't know it looked easy. I didn't know you got a one inch pecker. I didn't know you had been watching people try to get hard on mushrooms. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll tell you my story about that off air sometime. But uh, <laughs> about you watching somebody try to get <laughs> no. on mushrooms. Well, yeah, we'll just go with that. No, about me trying to get hard on on mushrooms. It doesn't matter. Ugh. I don't give a shit. All right. Anyways, yeah, uh, I do have this quick explainer, uh, just to compliment your TED talk. This is uh, your brain on shrooms. It's two minutes. Do you want to go through that real quick? Yeah, let's go for it. Psychedelic or magic mushrooms have been ingested by humans for over 9,000 years. Even today, this naturally grown fungus is commonly used as a recreational drug causing hallucinations. But how exactly does it work? The main psychoactive ingredient in shrooms is called psilocybin. When ingested, the body breaks it down into the active drug psilocin, which makes its way to the brain. And here it begins to prevent the reuptake of the neurotransmitter serotonin, increasing its activity. On top of this, psilocin actually has a similar chemical structure to serotonin, meaning it can also bind to and stimulate receptors in the brain. This amplified stimulation causes you to perceive and experience things without any real stimulus, also known as hallucination. These can be of a varying nature, from visual to auditory sensations or mystical and insightful feelings. And while the experience can be quite enjoyable, some users have reported very unpleasant episodes. These feelings generally last between 3-8 to eight hours, but could feel much longer as the drug alters your sense of time. Scientists have also suggested that the brain may temporarily rearrange itself by inhibiting normal brain activity and immediately creating new biologically stable brain connections. This ultimately makes it harder to determine reality from fantasy and amplifies your intensity of thought, which makes planning ahead and self-conscious thinking almost impossible. We also see activation in the hippocampus and anterior cingulate cortex, which are associated with dreaming. Finally, specific emotional regions of the brain are chemically activated, which can lead to a sense of expanding consciousness. And because the drug temporarily alters the paths in your brain, thinking outside the box becomes extremely natural. In a famous US study, 36 college-educated participants were given psilocybin and observed in a laboratory. 
One-third of the participants reported the experience as the single most spiritually significant moment in their lives, with two-thirds putting it in their top five. Two months after taking the drug, 79% of the participants reported increased well-being and satisfaction. Friends and family were also interviewed and agreed with these claims. But it's not all so positive. 22% of the clinically tested individuals experienced fear and paranoia at certain points during their trip. And because of the state of their brains, these typically manifested as terrifying and uncontrollable hallucinations. Though much is still unknown about shrooms, they're not considered clinically addictive and cause little toxicity to other organ systems. In fact, a UK study found that they caused the least amount of damage, both to the individual and to others, when compared to other recreational drugs. Ultimately, scientists believe that the laws need to change around clinical testing of the drug so advanced research can be executed to fully understand both the positive and negative effects that this magic fungus has on our brain. And yeah. That's uh, a lot of that stuff we already covered, but there's um, the uh, the breakdown of how it, it it not only blocks the serotonin reuptake, but actually binds in the similar way LSD does to the uh, serotonin receptors. Yeah, um, which is why it has showed um, positive results in people with uh, clinical depression and uh, even people with bipolar disorder and schizophrenia uh for instance uh and i think we talked about this like i told you i was gonna have like a lot of articles i was gonna quote so uh june 9th 2020 uh the article shrooming with bipolar disorder a psilocybin survey study um, so this isn't a clinical study, but it's a survey study, which means that they've asked people about it. Um, it so some of the results are going to be skewed and so on and so forth. But this study was conducted by Dr. Molly Pleat and Dr. Josh Woolley, um, both of respectable universities, uh, one of the University of Southern California, San Francisco, um, oh, sorry, the University of California, San Francisco, uh, and the other of – oh, yeah, no, they're both from the University of California, San Francisco. Um, and they even uh, – they've been doing – so they opened their first study in, two, in 2021 uh, – on patients with on patients with uh, bipolar disorder, and it showed that their findings um, together these findings suggest that psilocybin therapy could have benefits for depressive symptoms in people with bipolar disorder. Uh, and that's just the depressive, but they go on to point out that. It helped with the anxiety, which is where most of mania comes from. And so when we get manic... Can you explain what... I was going to say, can you explain what mania is? Is that like... Uh, so like just when manic? I'm manic, when I'm manic, like uh, I have high energy and uh, I can't stop thinking. I can't stop moving. I can't stop doing anything that I'm doing. So it's restless um, leg syndrome for the brain. For the brain, but I mean, it's it's. It, I've never had reckless restless leg syndrome, but it's 
not fun. I think I have restless leg syndrome, but it always happens while I'm asleep. But I just know I kick a lot in my sleep. So, but yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Continue with your article. I derailed you. No, you're good. It was actually a perfect interjection because my dog was doing something stinky. So I had to. Pooping. Well, not pooping, but she was. Because just... poop is funny. Yeah, poop is funny. Um. They did this, uh, I want to say that the study that they did, they did over several months of uh, giving people small doses. Um, and they opened up their first clinical trial in 2021. Yeah. I wish I could find the results of their... I wish I could find the results of their first clinical trial. update um yeah i wish i could find the results of their first clinical trial have you tried google yeah <laughs> but, i mean you know as well as i do how hard it is to sometimes find exactly like what you're looking for because yeah. there's so much extra shit out there but i mean I am. I mean, it, there is a plethora of articles out here to to show and to prove that. Man, like psilocybin is magical, and it's got to be extraterrestrial for the benefits of what it's doing. Like, like bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, um, schizophrenia. A, a lot of schizophrenia is being anxious. Like it's like that's a huge part of it, and if it can help deter the anxiety, then boy, it's toning down the schizophrenia without having to put somebody on a chemical compound that has been synthesized and derived that's not natural, that's not made. You know, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like if it can help curb the anxiety in somebody who's schizophrenic so that they don't have episodes as often, I don't see why we're not already using it. I, uh, uh, I have to stop tape for a second. Cause I just had something come up at the house. Give me five minutes. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. We can do that. Sorry, man. No worries. I will pause it and we'll be back in five. Everybody. All right. Two, I think. Where the problem area lies, people think it lies in taking too much. It lies in taking too little. Because if you take too little, you can resist it. You can struggle with it. And then it can turn into a real mess because you're afraid of it. And you actually have the power to some degree to resist it. What you want to do is take sufficiently enough that there's no escape and that the transition from ordinary reality to fully loaded is as quick as possible because the going up is somewhat terrifying. For example, let's use psilocybin as the model. Here's how it works for me. This is not tea. This is eating raw mushrooms. It comes on more slowly. So after an hour or so, you know, of, and the way I do it is I sit in, as soon as the mushroom enters my body, 
I sit and meditate. Uh, I noticed in South America they don't do it like this. They dose the ayahuasca and then everybody just goes on talking about their motorcycles and the jobs at the sawmill and uh, who's conning. It's like totally, they toss it. There's a brief moment. They pour. They toss it down. Then they all go back to raving at each other about mundane life. And then 30 minutes later, on the dot, the shaman blows his whistle or shakes his shakyapa, his leaf. Uh, dry leaf bouquet and everybody settles down and it's like it comes on within two minutes as soon as the guy starts singing he just invokes it the way I do it is I uh, I take the mushroom or the ayahuasca and then I sit and I roll bombers uh, so I'll have them ready if I need them and then and I just sit as I'm going to sit during the trip and I've unplugged the telephone and I've I've gotten everything squared away and it begins to come on at about the 40 minute or the 60 minute mark and as and it's there's sometimes some nausea as it comes on and then I smoke a bomber or half a bomber I and then and then it catapults it into the full deployment of the thing where you just hang on there's about a 25 minute period where all your only job is to is to hang on it builds it's like watching an atomic explosion on the other side of 50 feet of absolutely clear crystal glass i mean you can't believe this is happening quote unquote in my mind you have the feeling that everybody from seattle to san diego is just crawled under their desk as this thing tore past but it's in your mind and then uh, then there is the interaction with it, which moment to moment you are pretty coherent, but you lose it. it. A lot of it does not transcribe into short-term memory. And then after about an hour or 40 minutes of that, it becomes more manageable, more memorable. Uh, the most mind-boggling parts of it are just not possible to bring out of it because language fails. Because English, there are no words. There are no words even close. I mean, sometimes you'll bring out an image or a metaphor, but out of five hours of tripping, you bring out, you know, half a notebook page of metaphors, and yet you were entirely engaged during that time. Now, this question about fear, which is a real question, because when everything begins to slide, if you are not, if it's 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 more than most people who haven't done it expect. They have heard it, they've read the books, they, they but they think it's a metaphor. They don't understand. It's really going to happen, and it's really going to happen to you. And there's a tendency to clutch or to try and resist it. The thing to do in those situations, I think, and it's counterintuitive to how Western people think. But the thing to do is to sing, to sit up, 
not to assume the fetal position. See, you, what you might tend to do is assume the fetal position and tell yourself, my God, this is the most appalling thing that's ever happened to me. If I can just live through it, it'll be all right. I've taken this drug. If I can just wait through, how long did they say it will be? Seven hours. Uh, I see it, it started two minutes ago. Uh, if I can just, no, the thing to do is to sit up and to sing. And why? Well, being practical people, to oxygenate your brain, to move this the entire this thing that's happened to you, though it may have one claw in heaven, its roots are in your neurophysiology and in the chemistry of the drug. You want to move your physiology around. So oxygenating your brain can't fail to do this. So you sing. And this almost always is accompanied by a sense of power, control, equilibrium, and uh, so forth and so on. Not always. I mean, let's face it. You're a product of a nutty society and there are unexamined crevices and uncleaned out drain traps in all of us. And... uh, and you're going to encounter that stuff. The good news is the earlier psychedelic trips tend to deal with that. If You will quickly discover taking psychedelics that either you can work through your personal issues and become a psychedelic explorer, or this is just stronger medicine than you are up for and you would be far better to go back to psychoanalysis or whatever works for you. Uh, Some people just can't take it. Uh, Why is that? Well, because what it does is it dissolves boundaries, and most of us are over-boundary defined, but some of us are having an uphill battle getting some boundaries in place and realizing we are not the telephone or the tree or the person we live with. And so for those people who are having trouble establishing and maintaining boundaries, this is the last thing on earth they should get involved. Cannabis. 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 (laughs) Yeah. When you're in the state that you're experiencing the total... You should have uh, left it recording. That was a good clip. Oh, it is recording. Is it possible that your physical uh, I mean, I did stop tape, but I started back when I started. Well, people often, yes, wonders. Often people wonder. You, you get into a place where it's so unfamiliar that, you, that the question comes up, have I done it this time? You know, are, am I dying or am I in danger? <laughs> the, the answer is the odds are incredibly against you being seriously in danger. People don't die from psychedelics unless they have uh, heart conditions or some incredibly rare medical condition. The problem is that the ego feels threatened by the boundary dissolution. And its ace is your self-identification. Okay. Where were we? How do we? What are, uh, what are we doing here? How do I want to start was, the show today? 
I was just taking, I was just, I kind of took the reins and just started talking, um, psilocybin, we were talking psilocybin research and its clinical effects with, um, just different, like, depressive disorders. Uh, I think I made my point for the most part, though, uh, pretty sure i've been talking about it for nearly an hour it's just okay let me just start the show with this because we got a big broadcast as usual <laughs> do you want to do you have any more studies you want to cover real quick because i don't really have uh, i don't really have too much that i brought honestly i um as far as well go ahead sorry no i mean like i mean you know we initially talked about doing this podcast because uh we were just going to do it because I love I love mycelium in general. I like fungi. I like to grow lion's mane at home. You know that way I don't have to buy it. Um, no, I do not produce the fun kind currently. That way, if anybody's listening, you are well aware I do not produce the fun kind. Um, but uh, I you know I just you you know that I just I love fungi in general. Um, not just the kind that everybody else is is after, but I love fungi in general, and and I especially love fungi because of um, I mean one of the one of the original co-hosts of this podcast is uh, in horticulture, and he's uh, going to college for fungi cultivation. So I need to maybe get him back on here soon, maybe for another fungi episode if you're down. Yeah, because like. Uh, I mean, I'd love to pick his. I'd love to talk to him about it. Um, uh, I'd love to see. I'd love to meet him and be like, "Hey, what do you think about my clean room for how I grow my fungi?" Um, we, went, we went golfing uh, a couple months back, and for nine out of for probably nine or ten of the eighteen holes, we were talking about fungus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're just they're so cool, and uh, but when we initially talked about it, we we kind of talked about like. Well, you know, it's, it's, yes, I'm all about the medicinal uses because, um, I'm about to start working in medicine and, um, a lot of people in my family work in medicine and I have like super serious mental health issues that, uh, whether I realized it or not at the time. At one point or another, I was using psilocybin medicinally and didn't really realize it, as in, like, I allegedly. was using it to deal. <laughs> allegedly, yeah. And I don't care. I was. That's fine. They they can't arrest me for doing drugs years ago. I don't give a shit. Um, uh, but, I, I, you know, I was using them to fucking make myself feel better and deal with my serotonin issues. Because... The funny thing is that, like, I even, I mean, I spent a whole summer taking LSD every day in different, in different doses. But, like, other than that, most of my experiences with psychedelics have been purely, like, I'm going into this, um... I'm going into this process with like the thought process of like, uh, I've got a lot weighing on my heart right now and I really need to figure out a way to deal with it. And, uh, coincidentally I was like just creating psychotherapy for myself. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, like I was accidentally creating the psychotherapy that I'm now like 
so into and so agree with. And so uh, I was just doing it without knowing that I was doing it. Um, so uh, I just, I think fungi are incredible. I think they're, you know, they're, wow. I mean, what more could you say about what they do and how they do? And then we kind of talked about, me and you talked about talking about some of the conspiracy theories behind psilocybin, and I guess that's where you come in a little bit more than. Well, it, you said wow, and I it took me a while to get it, but I have this clip of Dr. Fauci saying wow, wow, yeah, wow, <laughs> wow, wow. <laughs> um, now I I don't really I I wasn't really planning on touching the on the conspiracy angle of things, um, mainly because I I would just direct people to what episode was that. Uh, let me look here. It, there was a, we did an episode with Jan Irvin. He's been on Joe Rogan's podcast, and he was the first person to smoke DMT with Joe Rogan and Eddie Bravo. He um, used to run with like Dennis McKenna, Terrence McKenna's brother. I, um, I instead of getting into that now, I would just direct people back to <coughs> that episode if I can figure out which one it was. Uh, I mean, yeah, um, yeah. Okay, let's let's see here. Um, yeah, episode 67 at shitmyass.com. You look up, look at episode 67. It's in our greatest hits tab. Uh, we talked to Jan Irvin, who was, he's, um, big into, um, he was huge into the psychedelic community and he kind of just, uh, well, I, I, I won't even talk about it other than just listen to that episode. If you're interested in the conspiracy MK ultra angle of all this. Um, what I what I brought was a little more juvenile. One thing I brought was Mike Tyson doing mushrooms on Logan Paul's podcast. Um, um, you want to hear that clip? Uh, and then and the, and uh, Alex Jones was just on Mike Tyson's podcast as well, and they did mushrooms together. I, that episode has not been released yet, so but I'm on the lookout for that one. But I mean, in this, we don't have to play this clip now. I can put it at the end, but it's basically Mike Tyson's just eating, eats a handful of mushrooms on Logan Paul, which is kind of fun. Uh, but before we get into it, before we pass over what you had, I still have two clips left for you. If you want to get into them, one of them is the, uh, uh, psilocybin resetting the brain. And the other one is that timestamp you gave me, uh, from the psychedelic frontier. Do you want to go up, go through those? Um, <clears throat> I don't actually remember what they are. If, I'm going to be completely honest. I've it's, done so much re research for this um, for this podcast and just in general for my own mental health at this point that right. I, I don't know all the stuff that I've pulled. Well, let's play this. It's only two minutes. Let's see what this is. Accumulating evidence suggests that psilocybin, the primary psychedelic compound found in so-called magic mushrooms, can be used to safely treat a range of psychiatric conditions. Prior studies have shown that just one or two doses of psilocybin can have a rapid and lasting positive impact on mental health, but the associated brain mechanisms aren't well understood. Now, researchers based in the United Kingdom have used functional magnetic resonance imaging to map the brain activity of 19 patients with treatment-resistant major depression who were given psilocybin. The results shed light on how the compound changes human brain function. The patients were dosed with the drug as part of an open-label clinical trial. Before and one day after treatment, the researchers used fMRI to look at cerebral blood flow and brain functional connectivity, a measure of how different regions of the brain interact. The imaging findings were compared against the patient's depressive symptoms, 
assessed using a self-reported questionnaire. The results showed that psilocybin produced rapid and sustained antidepressant effects. At one day after treatment, the group's mean depression score was roughly half that measured the day before. By five weeks post-treatment, all but one patient showed some decrease in depressive symptoms. On imaging, the researchers observed a link between decreased blood flow to the amygdala, an area that processes emotions such as fear and anxiety, Yeah, just I, I gotta, gotta, yeah, I gotta back that up. Anybody that is familiar with um, No Agenda, and a lot of I know most of my listeners are No Agenda fans. So, the amygdala is the fear center of the brain, and the um, what No Agenda does is they try to shrink your amygdala by showing you how the media is trying to make you scared. So, I think I think that's fascinating that that psilocybin actually lowers activity in the amygdala. Because the the amygdala is the fear center of your brain, and a lot of that can come from external influences, aka watching too much Fox News or too much CNN. But, well, can uh, I? Can I, yeah, go ahead. Can I touch on the fear thing? Yeah, because you're like they try to shrink people's amygdalas and stuff. Um, I mean, uh, psychedelics uh, in high enough dose, according to uh, law. Um, or in high enough quantity, if you're caught with them, it's considered conspiracy to overthrow the government. Yeah. <laughs> LSD was the big one that I always heard that about, yeah. Yeah. Um, but psychedelics in general, if you're found with enough on you, it's conspiracy to overthrow the government. Because as far as they're concerned, at that point, you're no longer scared. Exactly. Yeah. And and you, it's uh, it, it, mental health benefits aside which there is a huge mental health benefit to especially mushrooms but what one thing that not only lsd mushrooms and things like that can do peyote whatever even weed can do it which is you exit your headspace your how you were raised whether that's the religion you were raised on or just what you were taught in school or just the control the control structures around you it puts you outside of yourself enough to notice and realize that uh the control mechanisms around you aren't uh, there for your own good, or they aren't, um, they at least aren't, they, they aren't, uh, you know, you realize that nobody's that much smarter than you that's running things is another aspect of it. Yeah, well, and uh, I do want to, like, anybody out there who's listening, who's like, oh, wow, this has really made me interested in trying this, please let me, like, point out that, um, doing these things is all about set setting and situation. Um, don't go into it when you're like in a spot where you feel so depressed that you may harm yourself. You, you know, you're going to oh, yeah, have, sure. you're going to have an opposite effect of what you're looking for. You want to go into it with like an open mind and an open perspective because that's what it is going to create for you. It's going to create a new perspective, a new a new place. Yeah. And you want to make, sh um, I mean, there's even people that say like, you shouldn't jerk off for two weeks and you shouldn't, uh, you should be eating right. Eating only vegetables. Um, uh, and, or, or and vegetables and healthy meat. Like, you know, not just not <clears throat> the meat's bad, but you should be eating clean. I guess I'll say. I, I don't even disagree with that. Yeah, um, like since I since we're since we're here, I do have this McKenna clip on the proper way to take psychedelic mushrooms and grain of salt. Like I said, I don't fully trust McKenna, but um, 
his his stuff is really interesting and he's definitely my uh, one of my favorite eggheads so if you're cool with it, I'll play just a little bit of this clip where McKenna talks about how you should take mushrooms. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't meaning to segue away from the clip that you were playing because the clip you were playing was great, but... Yeah, go ahead, play the McKenna clip. It's five grams in silent darkness on an empty stomach. And I'll explain it, you know, five grams. Now, when you you must weigh it, a lot of people take mushrooms, and when you show them what five grams is, they pale visibly. <laughs> because, dry? Yeah, five dried grams. And it's, you know, several mouthfuls. So, and I'm speaking for a 145-pound person. Obviously, if you weigh 90 pounds, you back it up a little. And if you weigh 230, you might go a little up. But I do uh, seven grams. five dried grams on an empty... Yeah, I I remember you telling me that, and I was thinking, that's a seems like a lot. But then I was like, well, you're twice my size. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do seven grams in total darkness when I do that. That's like a McKenna principle that I actually practice. Stomach. All that means is don't eat for six hours. Silent darkness. Silent. And I a lot of people disagree with me about this, and they want to listen to the moody blues, and they want Bach, and they want this. <laughs> Forget it. Nobody's going to listen to you if you come out of this experience saying Johann Sebastian Bach is God. We know that. <laughs> so, you know, and it's very confusing because the music becomes everything if you listen to it. I mean, you cannot separate it from the trip. And people will not believe that the trip without music will be just as rich as the trip with music because they're, they've already decided they're inadequate that out of their own depths they couldn't possibly produce a psychedelic experience. So let's have the B minor mass thrown in just to help it along a little here. Uh, so silence, silent darkness, and then darkness. Why darkness? Because the hallucinations actually need darkness in order to form. They form behind closed eyelids. And so what I do is, and this, I clear the deck. And I try to pick a point in my life when I don't feel too anxious and oppressed by trivia. I unplug all the phones. I get rid of every obligation. I roll up three or four bombers. And I then wait on an empty stomach. And about nine o'clock at night, I take it. And I just sit, as I'm sitting now, waiting for it to come on. Once I've taken it, I am completely in the sacral space, even though I don't feel anything for an hour and 20 minutes. Some... So can I, say, can I say that the only difference between the way that I practiced here at McKenna's um, principle of like five grams in total darkness, or like for me, it's seven grams in total darkness, seeing as I'm massive, um, uh, I go completely sensory deprivative. Um, so I like put earplugs in and, uh, put like a mask over my face so that I absolutely can't see anything. And I wrap myself up really, really tight in blankets, like almost like I'm mummified. Um, so you're just, you're at that. And I've, I've done similar practices at that point. You're trying to go out of body essentially. Uh, well, I, I don't know necessarily that I'm trying to go out of body, but I'm trying to just like completely separate myself from everything. 
um, right. so that I can get so that I can get down to like the nitty gritty of everything. And I, I don't in my get... experience doing things like that make you kind of ash, ash your astral being is all that's really happening. Your psyche for a... well, uh, yeah, oh, a hundred percent. And like, don't get me wrong, it's terrifying. Especially the, like especially I'm, the onset of it. If you're not, if you're not initiated, the onset of it, you think you're dying. Yeah, it's it's absolutely incredibly terrifying. It is, but when that fear lets go, then you can start to work out. Oh man, you know. Well, oh man, I wish I would have pulled up some some articles on this. Like, it helped me with my drug addiction. Yeah, it's uh, like psychedelics have been known to even help people quit smoking. Yeah, I'll tell um, you this: I, mean, uh, I quit smoking for like seven months one time um, because of a trip, uh, psilocybin trip, and I, after I came out of it, I had two packs of cigarettes at the house. I like ripped them up, tore them out, and threw them in the trash. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's, and so, of course, seven months later, I got a little turnt and was like, man. What was I thinking? Cigarettes are great. But, you know, that was seven months I was clean of cigarettes. So, Yeah, I am. Who's to say, had you not done what um, most people who are Terrence McKenna followers or even do what Terrence McKenna slightly suggests, um, <clears throat> six months later, if you had done another high-dose trip the same way, Who's to say you would have picked up smoking again at all? Yeah, I think alcohol encourages smoking and psychedelics discourage smoking for sure. Because McKenna is like – he's hardcore on you. You you have to continue to reinitiate yourself every every three to six months. Um, He's big on like just because you've done it once does not mean that – you've solved every problem because right. Whereas Alan Watts would say, if you got the message, hang up the phone. Um, Exactly. Now there is. And like I said, I won't get into the the nitty gritty of it, but that I'll put it in the show notes on my end, on my version of the podcast available at shipmyass.com. I will link the, for this episode, the Jan Urban interview we did because he makes the claim and it seems to be that he has his receipts that McKenna was scared to do mushrooms and refused to do them for most of the time he was take doing these lectures and, you know, take that as you will take it with a grain of salt, just like anything McKenna says I take with a grain of salt. But, um, I do want to hear from this clip Gibson. I want to hear your, I think he gets into it here in a minute or two, what happens on the onset of the trip. And I want to hear if this is kind of anywhere close to what you experience in the silent darkness. Yeah, go. People do the ironing and, you know, chop up some stock or something but I just sit and then it begins to come on some people say it comes on very quickly and so forth and so on for me it usually doesn't really come on until the hour and 20 minute mark there may be a surge of nausea at 40 minutes or a need to take a leak or something like that but then I get back and resettle and at an hour and 20 minutes it comes (coughs) and it comes as a wave it's literally it's almost like a a very sheer silk scarf just drops over me, just settles over, and I think, oh my God, here it comes, here it comes. And then it, it comes, 
and it's a, it's a, a wave of hallucination. And if, if I, well, I gauge it, but at that point I smoke. And something about the cannabis synergy meeting the psilocybin, I mean, it is spectacular. I mean, you think that everybody from Vancouver to Tijuana... So, um, most people don't, a lot of people don't realize this, but THC itself is a hallucinogen. And, um, Especially if you're are, low tolerance, yeah. Yeah, well, well, no, no matter if you're low in tolerance or not, it's a hallucinogen because it slows down your perception of time. Therefore, yeah, it is I've not. Seen, I've, people, especially with edibles, I've <laughs> seen and even even to my yeah fully trip fully trip yes yeah, things not actually, like the spirals and you're seeing but, your but, visual things yeah but that's not actually the THC that's doing that that's that's the funny thing is like most people aren't aware that that's not actually the THC that is creating that hallucinogenic pattern um, it's another cannabinoid because THC is not the only hallucinogenic cannabinoid within cannabis um. So this the like delta THC's hallucinogenic del property is the time dilation mainly. Um, it, from the way I understand it, like don't quote me on that. From the way I understand it, um, THC is the main active hallucinogen within cannabis. Don't get me wrong, but these variations that have become legal in states like Tennessee um, that aren't legalizing cannabis, uh, like delta eight, delta nine. Uh, Delta 10, that is uh, the same thing as what CBD is. It's incredibly, it's incredibly selective breeding to bring these particular, particular hallucinogenic cannabinoids forward rather than bringing THC forward or CBD or ATHC. Because realistically, right. when you're smoking marijuana, you're actually smoking ATHC, and when you heat it up and it burns you're burning off the a and the thc is being released into the body system i've learned my lesson i'm never ever ever gonna smoke weed again no oh, good clip spectacular i mean you think that everybody from vancouver to tijuana must have just thrown themselves on the ground as this thing i mean it feels like the sun exploded it feels like you're watching through 11 feet of quartz crystal a hydrogen furnace on the other side. You cannot believe the release of energy. It's like a siren comes on, a siren which you hear and feel, a siren which shakes your body and the building that you're in and everything else. And then it just, you know, pushes you out into, who knows, long periods of time where not a word of it will ever be reported to any other human being. I mean, you see things that nobody has ever seen and will ever see again. You're into it, you know, and, and it's an infinite matrix in all directions. And it means something. It doesn't just look pretty. You know, it's playing on the harp of your soul with the emotional overtones. Yeah. I want to point out at this point... McKenna is, I want to point out at this point, McKenna is definitely talking about like falling into your, into your peak point mm -hmm. um, at this point. Um, so you wanted to ask about my come up um, based on the way he described his come up. Um, 
I think it's incredible that he can like dictate exactly how long it takes for him to like hit that come up point and then take off, you know? Right. And he's like, Oh, and I smoke and I smoke weed at exactly this point when I'm feeling myself start to take off. Um, with, uh, with a chemical like LSD, it is really, 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 really hard to perfectly time that because there's a reason. Well, that it's yeah, called with LSD, tripping. it's a whole different ball game. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm just saying there's a reason it's called tripping. Uh, it's because when you trip, it's unexpected, uh, and when you trip and it's unexpected, you hit the ground, right? So like everything happens so fast that you don't really notice that it happens. There's a and reason it's called tripping. Even beyond that, I'll say that every significant trip I've had where I took enough something in the exterior world, there's always a curveball that the universe seems to throw you that is just like that wouldn't have happened probably if I wouldn't tripping. Uh, fair enough. Fair, or maybe I wouldn't have noticed it. That's yeah. That's you know yeah. Maybe I wouldn't have noticed that. You wouldn't have noticed the synchronicity. Um. Yeah. So. But he talks about, like, when he's talking about his come up, I guess, he's, like, he's talking about, like, the period of sickness that he's feeling. That has nothing to do with, like, the psilocybin. That's all to do with the fact that, in a lot of ways, like, this mushroom is poison. In some ways, this mushroom is poison. It's not natural to our body. It it doesn't. The psilocybin doesn't naturally occur in the body. There are other things. Neither does broccoli. Yeah, I understand, but like, not psilo- but broccoli doesn't have psilocybin in it, right? <laughs> you know, like, like there are other things part of this mushroom. Not all mushrooms were meant to necessarily be eaten. Oh yeah, right? there's a lot of poisonous mushrooms that'll kill you. So, yeah, exactly. So like, this one this doesn't mushroom- have this one doesn't have any provable negative health side effects because trust me no. the governments have been trying to prove that psilocybin oh, mushrooms are bad for you and they haven't i'm i'm well aware but anything that you're ingesting into your body that is not like a regularly functioning product is right. poison i'm lactose intolerant i don't ingest milk if i were to ingest milk it would make me want to throw up and i watched you chug and chocolate shit milk at work bro yeah, I've chugged, <laughs> I've chugged chocolate milk and then I paid for it. Yeah, yeah. And then I paid for it. Go back to our poop episode the t- for the how that story ended, everybody. I spent all night on the toilet. Did I not? <laughs> I was going to the toilet every thirty minutes <laughs> because milk to my stomach is poison. Right. So regardless, we're introducing psilocybin, which is something that our stomach doesn't regularly digest, and so then we feel like we're going to be sick. The proof, it, the truth is, if you go ahead and be sick, the trip typically will actually hit you faster. Because oh, whatever's okay. left over, because whatever's left over in your body is going to start immediately attacking the system. Now, now it's not going to, it's not going to last as long. Because remember that, like your stomach acid from the clip earlier, your stomach acid is breaking down. And part of it so that the rest of it can be activated within your system. So that's if you why throw if you it up, grind up the mushrooms in a coffee grinder or even chop them up and soak them in lemon juice, it kicks in way faster because that digestive process is accomplished it's early. It's cut in half. Yeah, it's accomplished early by the lemon juice. 
Now, exactly. I, I won't play the rest of this McKenna clip, um, but he says something in, I, and I think this is the right one, and I'll just kind of paraphrase what he says. He says the onset of it is like a parade of little elves that you see coming from the distance when you're in silent darkness, like doing kind of like a little chant, like, and they come to you and they basically carry, like they pick you up and carry you like a crowd surf or like um like how it, like royals will be carried on like a carriage with, with like in Roman times or whatever. And they'll just pick you up and take you off on this parade to the chrysanthemum, which takes you through this giant um, almost explosion, flowery explosion into like the next astral dimension. Does any of that relate to your experience? I th So because the brain is such an incredible thing, I think that we're all visualizing things differently. Right. Um, I don't necessarily get a whole like, Uh, I don't get the whole like, oh, elves are carrying me on a carriage all the way. You know, like if, for me, it's more of uh, I become very hyper aware of everything that's going on within my body. Um, and uh, as it builds and as it builds and as it builds – I'm trying to anticipate the building, right? I'm trying to anticipate the drop. Uh, and while I'm anticipating it, uh, a lot of the time, like, I'm noticing, like, my blood flowing through my veins, the way my muscles are twitching, the way, like, I am feeling. And a lot of that is, like, me creating this sensory deprivation style. You know, I'm, 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 I'm forcing myself to think about what's actually going on in my body. And then before I know it, I'm in another by, by like following the blood flow and the what's going on in my body. I've taken this journey into the next astral plane. What are which your, is like very, what are your auditory and vision in silent darkness though? What do your auditory and visual senses look like? Is it like an Alex Gray painting where you're seeing like great, cath not cathedrals, but you're, are you interacting with anything that seems like it's alive on another, in another dimension? Well, it, well and that's like McKenna talks about, like you get to that point where you like, you cannot verbally express what's actually going on. Right. It, it's beyond verbal expression. But for me, that journey into that is like that visual journey that auditory journey is like I am becoming hyper aware of what's going on in my body. Like I'm not just feeling the blood flow through my veins. I'm watching it pump through every artery. I'm hearing it pump through every artery. I'm, I'm hearing it move and grow. Right. And this is not um, medical advice, but I would say, um, that method, the silent darkness, five dry grams, is probably more accurate than your family doctor as far as knowing what's wrong with your body. This is not medical advice, everybody. But when something's wrong, you can tell in that state. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know necessarily that you can like look at yourself and diagnose yourself, but you can be like, hey, this is wrong. This is wrong enough to know where I need to like go get this specific spot in my body checked out because I can feel... You know, something's something's going on here. 
Exactly. Um, and then, like, at some point... Like, I don't think I would have just... realized my tooth was, like, uh, completely beyond, like, fucked up if I wasn't tripping. I probably would have just kept walking around with it, and it was, like, super infected. I, I, okay, yeah. I think I think the point there is fair. I think um, uh, when I initially realized that I needed to have hip surgery, I was in seven grams of total darkness. Um, yeah, there you go. Yeah, and Once I was again, like, not medical advice, people, but this is uh... this, this is bad enough that I <laughs> and I can tell that it's not my back anymore. It's not my knee. It's my hip. It's it's right. my hip that's causing everything. Um, it it puts you just like uh, I think even meditation, if you're good enough as at, at it, can have the same effect where you become or you know even yoga. Even though I've never really done yoga, I mean I've done it, but not to the point where I could say I'm a pro, yoga pro by any means, but. Um, I think even yoga or meditation can put you in tune with your body in that same way. It's almost like psychedelics are a cheat code that kind of bypasses that and just puts you right there. And I don't disagree with that, but like also like getting to a state of meditation where you can be aware like that takes years and years and years of practice. And I guess, yeah, we're, we're skipping, we're skipping steps by taking hallucinogens, but also there are a thousand of other ways to skip steps. Uh, for instance, uh, and and I talked about this in January on my podcast. Um, a Lonely Man's Guide to Self-Discovery, available where podcasts are sold. Yeah, yeah um, uh, but Wim Hof does these incredibly cold ice baths, and it because it's because it puts his brain somewhere in between this thought process of fight or flight. Right. Right, mm -hmm. and he's created a cheat code to be able to breathe and meditate through this fight or flight experience in order to create clarity, and uh, it works. I mean, it works. It works from personal experience. There was that I might be works. getting this wrong, but I've I think they tested Wim Hof, and he can actually troll control his metabolism levels with his brain. Like he's like, all right, I'm gonna switch he, to this, and they. They check it and they're like, oh, so, shit. so yeah, yeah. So they've done a lot of like interesting things uh, with Wim Hof. Uh, they actually did a, um, they did an MRI on his brain. What is is it an MRI or is it a CT? I don't know. They they did a brain scan, right? And the parts of his brain that are more active than most are like. Um, are, are are incredible. Like he can almost in his meditation state, he can almost access the DMT that sits in the back of his brain. We do not have clear proof that he can access it, but he claims that he can. And the part of the brain that releases DMT when you die becomes active that, when he is in a deep gland? meditation state. Pineal gland, is yes. That right? So yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. In the Vatican, they have like the giant pine cone representing the pineal gland. The Egyptians had a giant pine cone for the pineal gland. Like ancient culture, where cultures uh, across on every continent were obsessed with the pineal gland, uh, and it seems to have yeah, it seems to dump a bunch of DMT when you die or when you have a near death experience. Yeah, or, or when you dream, can... it slow trickles out supposedly. Yeah, he can activate it in a deep meditation state. I think there's a lot of old 
fashion gurus that can do that as well. I, I don't disagree, but like through his method, he's found a way to access his own DMT state. Right. He's 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 found a way. I mean, he calls it getting high on your own supply. <laughs> yeah. You know, he 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 doesn't drink. He doesn't smoke. But he definitely acts like he is on something all the time. Yeah. If you if you've seen any of his interactions, any of his everyday life, like he he's a nut. And that's the best part about drugs that your brain can be tricked into naturally releasing is those drugs are free. You don't yeah. gotta interact with a shady drug dealer. Yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah, I uh goodness, I got off track talking about Wim Hof. I love talking about Wim Hof. No, you're good. Uh, I think we're um is there anything else we need to cover before we wrap it here? No, I mean not unless you have another clip that you want to play. Uh what well, I think I'm well, gonna put we my would... I think I'm gonna put everything I have left at the end of the episode just after we're done. We uh, what we we were talking about the come up and the falling into the trip and stuff about right. McKenna and I mean like I would say that yes he's right, but no he's not because it's gonna <laughs> happen differently for everybody. Um, but there are you, threads that intertwine and similarities between everybody's experience. Yes, but. If you're going to like listen to what he had to say and take it word for word, then you're going to have the same experience that he had. That's a problem with a lot of things like this, especially if you haven't. And that, and you could say the same thing. Anybody listening to us that hasn't tried this, it's going to taint in some way your experience. Um, well, and that's why I was trying to keep like, almost like my predictive programming. That, well, and that's why I was trying to keep my experience for the most part as like, ambiguous as possible because I don't ambiguous. Yeah, that's the right word. Yeah. Sorry. Um, I was trying to keep it as ambiguous as possible. Um, so that if somebody does try it after this, I'm not affecting their perception of what's going on. Right. Um, because I, I don't want to do that in any way, shape, form or fashion. Uh, I want you to have your own experience because my experience is always going to be different than yours. Yeah. And, but at the same time to kind of disagree with what I just said, it doesn't matter how in depth and descriptive you can tell somebody what the experience is It's always going to change. It's always going to be different. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's, it's, there's no way to, like you said earlier, there's no way to put it into words. So there's, there is absolutely no way, no matter how thoroughly and in depth you describe it, that the person is going to have any idea what they're in for until they, it actually happens to them. Uh, agreed, a hundred percent agreed. And with uh, that, I think uh, I think we can wrap, wrap it. it. And I, I'd like to talk. I'd like to talk about uh, your show, A Lonely Man's Guide to Self Discovery. Um, you. You're right now. You're just doing one episode a month, but they're all really good, and uh, those are uh, available. What Anchor, iTunes, all that stuff, right? Yeah, they're available on all that. Um, I wouldn't say they're really good. A lot of them are just like me personally accounting what's going on through the month. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm okay if, with... if you're looking for like a, a chuckle fest, it's not probably your bag. But if if you're just looking for like some raw, gritty, uh, really powerful uh insights into the human mind i think it's a really good show 
Yeah, well, I, I don't disagree. It's really, you know, it was it's turned into my way of letting people know that like we're all going through it, and uh, I want you to hear what I'm going through. That way, you can realize you're not alone, and maybe we can create a community of people where uh, mental health is not so socially stigmatized. It's not so taboo. Hell yeah, yeah, I love it, man. And I love well, you. You're uh, good. You're you're a good bud. Uh, I love you too, man. To I'm glad we got to me do this. too. We'll have to do it again um, soon. Um, I know. Um, yeah. Well, we'll, well, we'll I be appreciate we'll be you having me. Your future. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, and uh, I love you, man. And uh, yeah, let's do this again shortly. Uh, I need to get out here and play with my dogs. So I'm gonna sign off like right now. Yeah, you're good. And uh, anybody listening, you can go to shitmice.com. For uh, Ebbs in a Six Pack or Lonely Man's Guide to Self Discovery, wherever podcasts are sold. Or not sold, it's a free podcast, but you know. All right, take it easy, bro. Hi, this is Pete Holmes, and this is the time I learned the secret mantra that can make a bad trip incredibly good. I have a lot of rules when it comes to taking mushrooms. You should definitely be with people you are comfortable crying in front of or throwing up in front of. Not that you're going to cry or throw up, but that's the vibe. And the other one is I like to fast beforehand because I wanted to kick in quickly and I want to be running clean. Like it's all about plant medicine, so I eat a lot of plants and get all green inside, eat the mushrooms, the mushrooms go in and they're like, I know you guys, let's just give this guy a big party. And, the, and everybody goes nuts. On this trip, I broke both of my rules. We drove up, me, my friend Nick Thune, who's a comedian, and his friend, who was a lady, who I had a crush on. I want to impress this girl. I have drugs, I party. I know I look like a narc. <laughs> like leaning on a van that says DEA on it. Like, you guys want to get faded? Like, I'm not really a drug person. I'm usually the person who can't even tell when other people are on drugs. I'm always like, who was that sweaty, confident man? He had a go-get-em attitude. It's like he was on cocaine. But I wanted to be cool. We have this free day. Let's drive up to Big Bear. Rule number one, eat clean, eat leaves, eat plants. Uh, she wanted to stop at In-N-Out Burger. So I went from eating no cows to eating little bits of ground up thousand cows. All the blood and the factory farming and the stress and the fear is just saturating and weighing in my belly. Let's not disrespect psilocybin and call it a drug. It's a medicine. The drug I took was in and out Burger. Then we drove up to Big Bear. It was a cabin where I had tripped before. I chopped up the mushrooms and I served it to the three of us, three equal portions. Now we're waiting for it to kick in. So I pick up a guitar, just serenading both of them, just like secretly looking on the side of my eye to see if the girl is impressed. And then I look at my left hand and it has 11 fingers, <laughs> like on this hand. So I hated it. Immediately, I knew I'd never had a bad trip before, but I just knew I'm about to have a bad trip. And then the walls start to bleed, which everybody says, but I had never seen that. So I start freaking out and I say to Nick, I need food. If I eat some food, maybe it will help cool me out a little bit. But I'm like, we can't go. We're all tripping. And Nick Thune is like, I can drive. Okay, because he wasn't tripping yet. And he drives away. So now I'm anxious for him and I'm worried about this girl who's seeing me like, like becoming the couch. Like the cushions slowly enveloping my face. Like I was the couch. I had no body. I realized I had some Xanax and a friend of mine had told me that Xanax would help with bad trips. And I poured them in my hand 
And my hand was the size of a football field. My hand was a prairie, and each pill was an Irish sheep. And they were moving around, and I couldn't tell which was which. I knew one was Ambien. I knew one was Xanax. I knew one was Cialis. I'm like, I don't know if I want to be erect, asleep, or calm right now, but I can't risk it. So I just put them back in the bottle. I, I couldn't figure out which one was which. So I got up. Nick Thune returns. He is tripping. So he drove to the store in a car. He returned in a spaceship and he gave me a banana. I was so in love with Nick Thune that he did this for me. And then the trip is still bad. It's not cooperating. I thought it wasn't cooperating with me. It turned out I wasn't cooperating with it. No bleeding walls, no becoming the couch, because I'm trying to impress this girl. So I had my own agenda, and the mushroom kept going like, no, we're going to do this. So I was fucking it up. It was my fucking fault. I was looking at Nick Thune. He looked like Christian Bale in The Machinist. And the girl turned purple, and she looked like a zombie, and she started having a bad trip, I think because she saw me having a bad trip. But then I realized, just say fucking yes in life and in trips. It's what's happening. It's what's happening. Like this plant was inviting me to something and I kept going, no, 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 no. It was my no that was making it a bad trip. I was like, okay, what do you want to do? I want a dragon to growl in your face. And I was like, you know what? I spend most of my life not having a dragon growling in my face. So why not? Let's try it. And it was still trying to scare me. And this was a real aha moment. I said to it, I go, what are you going to get me? And I stood up and I go, guys, I am in a prison of my own making. We are walking corpses. Own it. Sorry. Sorry if it's being impolite. We all die. Enjoy it. And I'm like, we gotta get outside. And shh, open the sliding door. We're on like a body of water. I guess it was a lake. We take our clothes off. We jump in the lake. Instantly just happy. We hear music, but it's not in our heads. It's real music. And we swim towards the music. And we get to the shore and it's a fucking outdoor festival. Literally. We didn't know what was happening. There was an outdoor like country music festival and all these people that we would never talk to and we're like, we are you. You are us. But we didn't say that. What we did say was, we came from the sea. We hung out for songs. We started to come down. We swam back and danced on the lawn like gnomes. And the difference between a bad trip and a good trip is the word yes. Citizens don't take psychedelics because it's illegal. Neither do marionettes. Neither do robots. None of these well-behaved and mechanistic reductionist images of humanity take psychedelics because it's misbehaving. Misbehaving is a great sin. In fact, it's enshrined as the first sin. You'll regard that the psychedelic issue was there in Eden and somebody misbehaved and then they got tossed out forever and their children's children into the chaos of history. It's interesting to read in Genesis why this was. It was because they will become as we are, says Yahweh. They will become as we are if they eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge. I suggest to you that this is precisely what we should seek to do. We empower our experience by insisting on our authenticity. It's a wonderful thing to learn to be able to stand up and yell bullshit. 
because so much is being slung and nobody is talking about the primacy of experience and the dignity of the individual. The dignity of the individual. We went a long way with this in America before we betrayed it. And it wasn't only betrayed by the clowns in Washington. It's also betrayed by anybody who clusters themselves around the feet of some self-proclaimed nabob. Because the fact of the matter is, nobody knows what's going on. Nobody knows. Nobody has the faintest idea. The best guesses are lies. You may be sure of it. And so to pretend that one human being will lead another out of the dark night of ignorance and into the shining light of truth is ludicrous, absolutely grotesque, a product of this empowering of the human image that has gone on through several thousand years of dominator culture. If you want a teacher, try a waterfall or a mushroom or a mountain wilderness or a storm-pounded seashore. This is where the action is. It's not back in the hive. It's not in the anthill. It's not knocking your head against the floor in front of somebody who claims that because of their lineage and whose feet they washed and whose feet they washed that you should give credence to them. Knowledge is provisional. And uh, we, we are yet to approach even the first moment of civilized understanding. The way it is to be done is by trusting yourself, trusting your intuition. Reject authority. Authority is a lie and an abomination. Authority will lead you into ruin. It's not real. And it isn't, don't get the idea that it's this liberal rap about how everybody has a piece of the action. You know, the Jews know something, the Buddhists know something, the Huichol know something. Nonsense. Rubbish. Nobody knows anything. These are different kinds of shell games that have been worked out by priestly castes of people to keep things under control. Institutions seek to maximize control, control, control. That's what they're into. Did you think they were in the business of enlightening you, saving your soul? Forget it. Control is what this is all about. And to the degree that we commit ourselves to ideology, we are poisoned. Any ideology, Marxism, Catholicism, objectivism, you name it, rubbish, all rubbish. What is real is experience. What is real is this moment. And so then what it becomes about is what are the frontiers of experience? How much of that has been taken away from us by these dominators, by these priesthoods, by these cults, by these philosophical shell games? Well, a lot. That's the whole story of history. Our growing unease, our growing disease, our malaise is all about the fact that we are kept from the wellspring of experience. We are sexually repressed. You may not feel it, but look back a hundred years to a world where pianos wore pants. 
you know, we maybe we've made a little progress on the sexual thing, maybe not, maybe more or less than we think, but we are repressed in all of these areas, uh, and we are particularly repressed in the area that relates to the psychedelic experience, because it is it is raid to the dominator insect invasion. They can't take it. They can't stand it because it empowers the individual. It dissolves the cheerful model of science. It's just exposed as, you know, a nice story. It enriches the accessible universe tenfold, a hundredfold, a thousandfold. It makes the individual complete within his or her self. And this completion of the individual is extremely destructive to the plan of the dominators, which is that you will be a cog in a machine. You will participate in the life of an organization, not your life, the life of an organization. You will go to some bullshit job. You will pour the best years of your life and your genius and your hopes into this. You will serve an institution. You will serve, 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 serve. Well, it's a bad idea for free people to go along with this. A much better idea would be to insist on the dignity of human beings, to recognize that the freeing of slaves, the giving of the vote to women, the ending of public whippings, that this program of political enlightenment must also then include hands-off on how people want to relate to changing their minds. We are not interested in being sexually regulated by the state, and we are not interested in being intellectually, spiritually, emotionally manipulated by the state. The state should stand down in this issue. The state is acting as the enforcing arm of the dominator culture, specifically of fundamentalist screwballs who, you know, are horrified by all this, by the notion that people would claim the authenticity of their own minds, that people would stand in the light of nature and reject original sin and the guilt from Eden and you know, the sins of the fathers and all this rubbish which is handed down. What the archaic revival is going to have to mean if it has teeth is a re-empowering of the individual and a consequent lowering of the, of the profile of institutions, especially government. We need to think about these things because we have bought into the idea that we have to serve and behave and be enslaved, else chaos will engulf the world. We need to carry out our analysis of the situation to the point where we can embrace chaos and see that chaos is the environment in which we all thrive. If we continue as we have, then you know we're doomed. And the judgment of some higher power on that will be they didn't even struggle. 
you know. They went to the boxcars with their suitcases and they didn't even struggle. This is too nightmarish to contemplate. We're talking about the fate of a whole planet. Why are people so polite? Why are they so patient? Why are they so forgiving of gangsterism and betrayal? Uh, it's very difficult to understand. I believe it's because the dominator culture is increasingly more and more sophisticated in its perfection of subliminal mechanisms of control. And I don't mean anything grandiose and paranoid. I just mean that through press releases and sound bites and the enforced idiocy of television, uh, the, the, the drama of a dying world has been turned into a soap opera for most people. And they don't understand that it's, it's their story and that they will eat it in the final act if somewhere between here and the final act they don't stand up on their hind legs and howl. So this whole uh, effort to bring the psychedelic experience back into prominence is an effort to empower individuals and to get them to see that we are bled of our authenticity by vampirish institutions that will never of their own accord leave us alone. There must be a moment when the machinery and the working of the machinery becomes so odious that people are willing to stride forward and throw sand on the track and uh, force a reevaluation of the situation. And it's not done through organizing, it's not done through vanguard parties or cadres of intellectual elites, it's done through just walking away from all of that. Claiming your identity, claiming your vision, your being, your intuition, and then acting from that without regret, cleanly, without regret. The first thing he said when he walked in, <laughs> can I say, anybody got any mushrooms? That was the first. Is yeah, well, no, I said, I have mushrooms. Okay. I'm not, anybody, I have no, I'm not a beggar. I'm not a beggar. Anybody have mushrooms? I'm not a fucking beggar. I, I come prepared. I, I saw you have a mushroom guy. I recognize Absolutely. him. Absolutely. He's the mushroom guy. I did your podcast yesterday. Yes, you did. You Hop, did a wonderful job. Boxing. Thank you. Thank you. I had fun. It's a really comfortable set. Made me realize and get excited before the fact that we're going to change our set. We look like we're sitting in SpongeBob's butthole. You know, I think you and your brother should do affirmations and see how much you'll love each other. Just sitting across from each other, telling each other that we love each other yeah. in different ways. Yeah. I'd like to get involved in that as well with Jake. Okay. If not, at all. Yours is going to be a lot longer. Might be I, I, think yeah. I, should, I think we should too. I think, we should, I think it'd be healthy, a healthy exercise. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. What is it about the, the shrooms, Mike? What, Excuse me. What is it about the mushrooms that you've uh, that you found that you like about them? You, you're scared. the way you look at me scares me a little bit. I don't know. It makes you, it makes, <laughs> you, it makes you pretty objective. Have you ever done mushrooms? Yeah, many so times. So you're really pretty objective to what's really going on, and you know, mushrooms really tell you you're nothing. So exactly, 100. percent You feel more connected to the earth. You feel more. You know, yeah. even the mushrooms in the daytime, you take it, and the earth start moving. You look at the ground; the ground is moving. Right. You look at the plants and the trees; they're moving. 
They're doing something. It's insane. It's yeah, insane. It's absolutely insane. It's, it's crazy how it can open up a part yeah. of your brain that you never knew existed. When I was on your podcast yesterday, a guy came up to me with a handful of mushrooms. More than I'd ever seen in my well, life. that was my guy. Yeah. <laughs> he said, do you want to do mushrooms? I was like, I'm good. Because I, I I don't think I could do it in front of, with all these cameras. Watching. Really? Yeah, I, I, think I, I think I'd embarrass myself. Or, or, no, I think um, what you're doing now is more embarrassing, I would say, than look, taking some mushrooms in front of people. I, I agree with him. I don't well, know why, but those are the exact <laughs> words wait, that wait, were going to come out wait, of my which mouth. Part? Which part? Mushrooms are going to make you beautiful and feel good uh, and all that stuff. This is going to send you to prison. Yeah. <laughs> I get you shot. Yeah, probably. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, I... I was just, I had never seen anyone face a handful of, oh, there he is. I had never seen anyone face a handful of mushrooms. Like, I saw you do, Mike, and, and, uh, you, you I'm operated. An ex- I'm an extremist. That, yeah. I can relate. Yeah, I'm really extreme. Yeah, I can relate. It you know, just, I've calmed down a lot since, you know, my family. I got wife and family, and it's looking really good, so I've calmed down a lot. Have you built up a tolerance, though? Like, I, like, even like, I'm making direct eye contact with the shrooms. Yeah, right as now. We speak. And, and do you, do, tell me about that volume. Talk to me about <laughs> me, that volume. Can I, get a, I can I get a look? I mean, what? What? How do we work this exactly? Mostly right here. Explain to him how much it is. It's probably you want to speak about here? eighth or maybe four grams right there. About four grams of dried mushrooms. It's got the gold caps with the blue spots on it. This is. This is a moonshot for the average person. Like this is Mike. You would eat this amount as a as a daily dose. I'm just getting ready to shove it down. Mike, this <laughs> Mike, this is a lot of motherfucking mushrooms. Mike, this is like that. That's what I'm saying. Right now. That's that's nothing. Nothing. There you go. That's nothing. Tell him. I used to do bags, nigga. <laughs> This is crazy. I can't. Oh, oh he's not. Oh, he's gonna be chewing for a second. Now, oh, he chews it down to a paste. The the pussy people put it on a peanut butter sandwich. It, it mixes together. You know what I'm saying? But Mike wants all that those little particles mm-hmm. stuck in his teeth. You'll be digging a gram out for the next couple hours, mm-hmm. trying to figure out, yo, there's some stuck in the back there somewhere. He used to do drugs. Yep. <laughs> no yeah, he goes, no <laughs> shit. <laughs> no shit. Bro, did you see the look on Mike's eyes? He's like, yeah, man. He's like, I'll pick your teeth. And it was like, relax, Mike. When I first heard about mushrooms in LA, everyone would talk about the taste. They said they, they tasted mm. like shit. Listen. Yeah, it you come from but, shit. Yeah, but hey, literally, literally. It, you have to uh, grow them in, in, yeah. in yeah. manure. Yeah. Correct. So you're accurate. Yeah, but you're, you're just completely over it. Are you even going to drink the Fiji? Mm-hmm. But it's, um, it's a fungus. It's what we made out of. We made out of this shit. Yeah. yeah. When we die, yeah. we're turning the mushroom. It's all started. Yeah. That's insane. So a lot of changes going on with the legality around these things. Portland, Denver, a lot mm-hmm. of places have completely decriminalized. Your, the- your friend... Our friend Johnny Shahidi yes. has has been already talking about how this turns into a business. It's about to be a huge business in the United States. Um, the president elect now. Um, that's they're going to open it up, make it free, federal, federally, make it useful. Do you see any any problems there? Like anything that could happen as a result of that that could be problematic? I think it would be the best thing since the 21st century. And you're, we're seeing more and more about that psilocybin with PTSD, anxiety, depression. What what do you what do you tactically use it for in your life? Like, what does it help you do better? Um, it helps me be a better me. Hmm. He said he trained on it. He said he he, he said he actively trains on it. It sharpens his skills. I fought on it. Did you take some that day versus Roy? Well, I mean, it took some uh, a couple of days before, but I, I trained on this stuff. Um. The chunga, are you familiar with chunga? Mm-mm. Oh, chunga is another uh, um, substance. 
substance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how do I explain it? Chunga, it's called. It's psychedelic. Yeah. Yeah. Is it stronger than than psilocybin? Is this psilocybin? Oh, it is. Oh, it is. I, I bet you know the answer. Yeah, it's five different types of DMT, but it's all like smokable. Is it a smokable DMT? Like and um, this is what I didn't know. It's fucking enhancer so i was in so much trouble they kept taking my my blood and mm. boom my oxygen and everything was high and, and that thing is enhanced so i noticed when i box my morning i don't feel the fucking punches mike i gotta encourage you to have a sip of that water i'm so sorry <laughs> i hate to be to it's not ready yet okay you know i take your time i mean no way am i forcing or saying you have to do anything take your time <laughs> Yes, and uh, I don't do that very much because I really try to control uh, the setting because the freakiest things happen. I mean, if you in any way lift your foot off the pedal of controlling the parameters of the setting, the damnedest things will happen. I mean, grizzly bears will break into your house. Uh, motorcycle gangs will arrive. Flying saucers will attack. It's weird to go outside. Uh, Do you eat the mushrooms or just drink the tea? No, I eat the mushroom. Do you have eyeshade on? Did you say? No, I just sit in in, si in darkness. But I really pursue total darkness. I mean, I don't. You know. What specific species of mushroom is the best? And are there several different species? There are many species, but the only one you'll ever encounter unless you're a specialist is Strafaria cubensis. That's the one that people grow and that is an item of underground commerce. And, and it's the one that grows in the dung of the white cows and is the one that I'm implicating in the evolution of uh, a human being. Over here. Um. Just back to language for a minute. Um, I don't really have a question. Just reiterate a couple of things I said yesterday. Um, you, um, I'm trying to break into my own computer and stop habitual behavior. Um, that long way to go. Um, starting with language, um, just picking the phrases or words that you use the most when you're lazy. It could be profanity or outrageous, amazing, very interesting. Awesome. Awesome. It's a long, long list. Well, those are all cop-outs, I think. Uh, and if you can stop yourself at that moment and say, wait a minute, no, that's, no, that's not really expressing an articulate thought, um, I think it sends a message. It does break into the computer and says things are changing. You know. Yeah, paying attention. You know, I think we said in here at some point that the key to everything is paying attention. Uh, awareness of awareness, the Buddhists call it. But your point is very good. If you truly have awareness of awareness, the best place to manifest that is in, I guess the Buddhists call it, right speech. Yes? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that it's always mm -hmm. appropriate mm -hmm. and sufficient and, and so forth. There's a book that some of you may know and you might be interested if you don't know it. It's called Hallucinogens and Shamanism. It's edited by Michael Harner, but it has articles by a number of people. And it has really one of the most wonderful articles ever written about the mushrooms by Henry Munn called The Mushrooms of Language. And he talks about how they are an inspiration to articulation how even in these Mazatec villages when people are not taking mushrooms, the way you can tell a shaman 
is by a, a speech style. And I saw this in the Amazon with the ayahuasqueros. They have a addiction, a psychedelic diction that is careful, appropriate, always sensitive to the context of the listener, and so forth and so on. In other words, they are great teachers, educators, communicators. And I think it's the residual effect of this empowerment of, of speech. What was the name of the book? Hallucinogens and Shamanism by Michael Harner. It's in paperback from Oxford University it's, it's Press. In, is it in? No, it's not in It's an excellent anthology. It has articles about ayahuasca, about Ibogaine, uh, San Pedro. It's a good world survey of folk usage of hallucinogenic plants and extensive bibliographies that will lead you on if you're interested in some particular area. How long does your five-grand trip last night? If I take it around 8.30 at night, by midnight, I'm ready to call it an evening. I always eat before I sleep, because otherwise you'll wake up in the morning feeling really wasted and sort of hollow. But if you'll eat something fairly substantial right before you sleep at one in the morning, then you wake up the next morning you feel great. Any difficulty getting to sleep? Oh, well, your mind is just roiling with thoughts. But on the other hand, you've come so far down from where you were an hour, an hour and a half before. That's when you smoke the third bomber. And <laughs> that usually shoves you into unconsciousness. <laughs> Without ever sporulating, and even undergoing renewal of the genome by that means, so it's like it has two forms of reproduction, it's... Uh, the fact that it produces spores, which are the color of uh, that we paint spacecraft that we want to uh, reflect ultraviolet radiation, this dark purple-black, the fact that these spores last longest in the laboratory under conditions that most closely approximate those of space, i.e. ultra-cold, dark, desiccated environments, they will last indefinitely. And then the message, you know, I mean, I, why should it say that? It's very interesting. See, in the 60s, um, psilocybin was made illegal when uh, LSD was made illegal because there was just a, they swept the floor, basically, and made it all illegal on one day. But really, there was no psilocybin. Any there was was very, in very small amounts and probably of dubious synthesis, or maybe it was only said to be psilocybin. Anyway, psilocybin did not play a role in what happened in the 1960s. <coughs> It was only in 1975 when we published this book and other people followed on that suddenly people could grow it. And what had become, you know, a legend, something you had to go to Watla or further south to experience, became available to everybody. And it's interesting to go back through, like the San Francisco Oracle or Tim Leary's early books, and notice the complete absence of the extraterrestrial theme. It wasn't viewed that way. The psychedelic experience, as defined by the editors of the San Francisco Oracle, didn't have elves and gremlins and flying saucers associated with. It was basically an aphrodisiac, psychoanalytic, life-affirming, social hallucinogen of some sort. 
part of the motivation of my career is to try and get people to look at this phenomenon. Psychologists, this is what I will tell the AHP when I go back there to Boston, is that something has been missed. There is a mythology, I think, among mushroom takers that of the saucer, of the animate quality, that this thing is intelligent and that it desires a symbiotic relationship with man. And it's not hard to see why, because it's a real breakthrough for a species to cut a deal with human beings. Then you come in from the cold, you're no longer subject to uh, the vicissitudes of Darwinian selection, you've become a domesticated plant from now on, or animal. From now on, your fate is entirely linked to the fate of all the other domesticated plants and animals and their husbandmen, the human race. And so, for a plant to become, to go from a wild crop to being a food crop, virtually ensures its survival into the untold future. So it's a very, if you think of plants and animals as seeking better adaptive stances in the environment, you could hardly do better than to bring yourself to the attention of human beings and get them to cultivate you. That means when we go to space, they will go to space. When the human race leaves the planet, we will take thousands and thousands of plants and animals and bacteria and fungi and insects. All these things will go with us. We are the point species for this process of leaving the planet. But I'm sure from the planetary ecosystem's point of view, uh, we're just doing it for all the other little furry folk and their friends, you know. We're acting for everybody and everybody will, it will benefit everyone. So I think we're about to go. That, you know, when the comets come, they'll find that man is just a fading memory in the fossil record of Earth and that we are long gone. Abs in a six pack! A B S N A. Six, the number, P-A-C-K dot com.